Hi there, I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Health Discovered Podcast, where we bring you fascinating stories and unique perspectives, like our recent episode on how heart failure can particularly affect women in Black and Hispanic communities. We've documented it time and time again. She was young, she was Black, she was a woman. No one expected her to look like the face of heart failure. When you don't look like what someone expects, that's going to lead to delays in diagnosis. We all have to take this constellation of symptoms, treat it the same each and every time. Whether it's a young person, a Black person, a woman, if someone presents to me with my heart racing and feeling winded, I need to get an echocardiogram 100% of the time, regardless. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Prague Watch. Tonight, you join us in the far meadow where the atmosphere is very peaceful and tranquil. Various fish are swimming lazily. And in the distance, formal horses are quietly grazing. Suddenly, the peace is shattered by the arrival of a stampeding herd of Gabriels. And what seems to be a rather oversized tiger moth. Hello, you fellows! It's Pete Jones from Tiger Moth Tales here. You're listening to Prog Watch with Anthony Rosick. Chalks away! <laughs> okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No well, bonjour, buenos dias, guten tag, good day, konnichiwa, however you say it. Welcome back to Prague Watch, my friends. Big Tony the Prague Squatch here, acting as your host for the next 90 or so minutes. And this week, I've got a feature I've been excited to share with you. A few weeks back, I spoke to Jordan Rudis, keyboard wizard for Dream Theater and man of many side projects, including solo albums, Liquid Tension Experiment, and Levin Miniman Rudis, just to name a few. Jordan also has a company called Wisdom Music, that's W-I-Z-D-O-M, which is doing some very interesting things. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself because I'm going to let you listen to part of my conversation with Jordan a little later in the program. So you can hear about Jordan from Jordan himself. And as I usually do these days when I get a good interview of length, I won't want to bore you with too much talk. So we'll play a lot of great music and we'll break up my coverage into two shows. So look for our Jordan Rudis Part 2 show coming in the weeks ahead where I'll let you listen to the rest of my chat with Jordan and play some more great music from his illustrious career. But let's get things rolling with music from a side project he was involved in back in the late 90s. That project was called Liquid Tension Experiment, and it included Jordan on keys, of course, with two of his new Dream Theater bandmates, John Petrucci on guitar and Mike Portnoy on drums. The bass slot was filled by none other than Mr. Prog bassist, Tony Levin. 
The song I'm going to play comes from the self-titled first Liquid Tension Experiment album in 1998. It's called Paradigm Shift, and I'm playing it because it's great, and also because it is a favorite of our friend and resident reviewer, Dr. Rob Fisher. He loves the way that Jordan lays back at points in this song and lets the other guys have their moment in the spotlight. The hallmark of a great player for sure. Anyway, on with the tune, Paradigm Shift.
That was Paradigm Shift from the self-titled first Liquid Tension Experiment album in 1998. Now let's hear a tune from one of Jordan's earlier outings with Dream Theater. This is Fatal Tragedy from Dream Theater's 1999 album, Metropolis 2, Scenes from a Memory.
Now it is time to see how you died. Remember that death is not the end, but only a transition. Fatal Tragedy by Dream Theater from their 1999 album Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory. Before we listen to some of my interview with Jordan Rudis, let's do one more tune. This is from a side project that he did with Rod Morgenstein of the Dixie Dregs, a little offshoot of his time with the Dregs, which you'll hear about in the conversation. Their duo was called the Rudis Morgenstein Project. They made a couple of albums in the late 90s and early 2000s. This is from their album The Official Bootleg in 2001, and it's called Crossing Over.
crossing over from the 2001 album The Official Bootleg by the Rudess Morgenstein Project. Don't go anywhere. Prague Watch will be right back. We don't play hits. If progressive music is your thing, Radio Progzilla is your station. Progressive music from your progressive rock station. Progzilla. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now let's listen to a little of my conversation with Mr. Jordan Rudess. Today my guest is none other than Jordan Rudess of uh, Dream Theater. Thanks for coming on the program. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah, we had a little bit of difficulty setting it up, but uh, yeah, so your daughter, is she studying in Japan or? Yeah, my my daughter was in Japan for three months uh, for part of school, uh, college and she was studying the uh, Japanese gardens. Very interesting. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh on to my questions, I guess, you know, your training was initially in classical music. So, uh, what was it that got you interested more in the electronic side with, uh, the synthesizers and everything? Uh, well, let's see. So I was very focused on my classical studies. I was a Juilliard kid. I went mm-hmm. to the Juilliard pre-college in New York from the age of nine, uh, up until I was 19. And then I left finally. Uh, after getting into college, deciding I wanted to go off and do some other things. But, uh, you know, I was always an improviser at the piano, although I had to kind of keep it to myself since I was, you know, studying so uh, ferociously in the classical domain. Mm-hmm. Um, but somewhere along the line, you know, I discovered electronic instruments and specifically, you know, like a friend, some high school friends brought over a Moog synthesizer and uh and also some recordings of like emerson lake and palmer and uh so i was exposed to uh you know that side of things and it really kind of blew my mind i was like wow this is really really cool because uh you know just from a uh energy sonic perspective what you know what i heard coming out of the synthesizer and out of some of these recordings was to me so exciting and so just you know energized like i couldn't believe that you know using like some of the chords that i was already familiar with that you could achieve that kind of sound and energy so that kind of brought me into uh you know wanting to get involved with synthesizers um so just the first synthesizer i had that really mattered was the was a minimo mm-hmm. yep i have a little plug-in for my own little setup here that 
you know, I've got the modular and the mini and, and the ARP 2600. I love all those old sounds. They're awesome. They awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, definitely. They're all so much fun. So, um, did you find your classical training to be more of a help or hindrance when you started becoming interested in other forms? You know, does the discipline of playing classical make playing something like the blues easier or more difficult? You mentioned that you are already into improv. So, yeah. Um, reality is that the classical training kind of has set up my whole musical life. I mean, there's no doubt that it, it's a, um, you know, it is the foundation. It's the structure for everything that I do. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason for that is because you got to think of it this way. Like my, my brain to finger or, you know, instrument connection is very developed. And, and that, that is due in a big way, partly to my classical studies to get my fingers to really, you know, be trained and to be able to play, not only, you know, lots of different scales and arpeggios, but also, uh, you know, what I have in my head. So if I think something, like I'm a really big improviser, so if I think something, usually I can, you know, I can pull it off. My fingers will do it. So to get, so for a musician to get their, you know, to play a physical instrument and get their fingers to do what they want, it takes some practice and some training. So for me, that classical training was, you know, so vital and so strong that it makes all the difference. And it's also kind of a, my, you know, it's my course of life was kind of unusual because I was so focused on being a concert pianist. And then, you know, around 17, 18, um, you know, just because of what I was listening to, what I was exposed to, I changed. But meanwhile, I got this great structure, which, you know, doesn't, doesn't happen for everybody. We certainly have the chops now. I, it amazes me people who are on your level, you know, I'm, I'm a hack, you know, I, I, I play some guitar, a little bit of piano, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm a hack when, when someone can have that type of separation between the two hands and just have them flying, you know, it's, it's so amazing to me. It's such a skill. It's one of the neatest human skills. I think it is an interesting skill because I really see it as being, uh, you know, like what I said, it's like your mind to your fingers, you know, you gotta, you think something in your head, but your fingers have to actually make it happen. How, did, how does that happen? Most people think that music is some kind of a, uh, you know, mini miracle, like it's just some kind of magic that just happens. But the reality is that it takes a lot of training to be able to have your hands behave and do what you think in your head. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of any, anything that's, you know, of value is, is work. Sure. So uh, some folks may not know that after you were voted Best New Talent in Keyboard Magazine's Reader Poll in 1994, which was after your first solo album, Listen. You were approached by both Dream Theater and the Dixie Dregs and actually chose to join the Dregs at that time. Can, right. you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you subsequently ended up in Dream Theater and, you know, what, what influenced your decision? Sure. Um, well, yeah, that was a very kind of interesting time because I really did get the offer to join Dream Theater and the Dregs at the same time. Um, but there was a lot going on in those days. Um, Family-wise, uh, my wife and I had just had a newborn uh, daughter. Is that the daughter who was in Japan now? She'd be about that age, right? No. That's, no? that's the, you know, the younger one who's in Japan. Okay. Uh, yeah, but uh, so we had the family thing, you know, important family uh, you know, developments going on. 
And then I also had gotten uh, a job with a company called Kurzweil that makes synthesizers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when Dream Theater asked me to join, it was, first of all, very flattering. I, you know, I thought they were a great group. I had no problem with them on that level. But the, what I was looking at was the change of lifestyle and the risk of, you know, going on the road with this band that still was kind of like, you know, um, relatively, you know, new to, sure. to this. They weren't really established at that point. We didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, so even just looking at like the finances of all of it, um, it wasn't like, you know, all of a sudden I was going to join that group and make, you know, a lot of money. Um, so I also had the offer to join the dregs and the dregs were a group that I had actually known about for years and respected. They were kind of like the old timers, you know, the tried and true guys. And so the decision was really made because I realized that I could do some shows with the dregs, you know, and not, not such an intensive touring schedule. I could be home with my family and I could work at Kurzweil. And, uh, so just from a, you know, sanity point of view, it seemed like a good thing to, a good choice to make. You know, it, it, I was a little sad because the Dream Theater thing seemed really exciting and fun, and I liked all the guys. So what happened was after I um, made that decision, I ended up doing a bunch of shows with the Dregs for the next year or so, uh, on and off, and had a great time. It was really fun, learned a lot. Um, you know, met Rod, Rod Morgenstein, who I went on with, uh, on to do some, you mm-hmm. know, duo albums with. It was one of the best musical experiences of my life, really. Um, yeah, I've heard and, the one bootleg. <laughs> what? There's a bootleg out there of you and Rod, I think. Yeah, there's, uh, well, there's one. Uh, oh, there's al- an official bootleg, I guess, yeah. maybe? Yeah, okay, al- yeah. Put out yeah. called the official bootleg. Yeah, okay. And uh, and then there's also one that's just an album called the Rudis Morgenstein Project. Okay. So, um, at any rate, so what happened was that, you know, like the next thing that really occurred is that I got a call from uh, a record company telling me that they were putting together a project with Mike Portnoy, uh, uh, what you know, a quote unquote super group, and Mike really wanted me to be in it. So. Um, I was flattered and I thought that that sounded really, really cool. Um, I said, yeah, let's do it. And at that time it was going to be Tony Levin playing bass and an unknown, uh, guitar player. We didn't know at that point when we were, when I was, you know, offered this and, uh, and it turned out of course to be John Petrucci and I thought, oh, well, this is great. So I didn't join dream theater, but I'm still getting an opportunity to work with these guys, which is going to be really, really fun. So, you know, so that's what I did. And I ended up putting out two albums with Liquid Tension Experiment that were, I guess, some of the most successful instrumental rock albums ever. They're great, so, yeah. And uh, it was a lot of fun to do, and we did some, play, you know, live playing with that as well. And, um, you know, at the, the end of the second Liquid Tension album, that's when Mike and John approached me again. And I remember Mike said to me, you know, hypothetically speaking, if we asked you to join Dream Theater again at this point, what would you say? <laughs> and I thought about it for uh, maybe two minutes. And I said, yes, let's do it. So, uh, and the rest, as I say, is history. Is history, yes. Let's take a break from the chat and hear more great music featuring the subject of this week's show, Mr. Jordan Rudis. This is a Dream Theater epic from their 2002 album Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence. 
and it is called the Glass Prison.
The Glass Prison by Dream Theater from their 2002 double album Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence. Let's listen to one from Jordan's solo career now. This is from his album Feeding the Wheel in 2001, and it is called Feed the Wheel.
Feed the Wheel from Jordan Rudess's solo album Feeding the Wheel in 2001. Oh yeah. Hello, good morning, good evening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Radio Proxilla, which is being dishing you up red hot progressive stuff and it's 24 7. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's do one more Dream Theater song before we dip back into my interview with Jordan. This is from DT's 2005 album Octavarium. And it is the root of all evil.
Once again, that was The Root of All Evil from Octavarium, the 2005 release by Dream Theater. Now let's listen to another segment of my interview with Jordan Rudis. I mean, working with Tony Levin, I mean, geez, uh, what kind of recollections do you have of that? Well, Tony is a wonderful musician. He's, first of all, a very you know intelligent guy. He mm-hmm. likes all kinds of music. He and I uh, hit it off because... Um, you know, he also is coming from a classical music background and he reads music and he also has a great ear so he can improvise and we could talk notation. And, and sometimes that was a really interesting bridge uh, working with Mike and John because, you know, we would write the music and then I'd have to, you know, or, or want to interpret it to Tony. And so we could both do it by ear, but also I could write out what was going on. So it helped that it helped kind of bring everything together. But, you know, he is the... Um, consummate you know bass player just has uh you know a great style and fun to work with and the total pro played with everybody yeah i enjoy that and then you know of course these days i've been uh i put out two records with the levin miniman rudis band Mm -hmm. and so i got to work with tony again so i've done a lot of work with him and always enjoy his style it's wonderful yeah i forgot about that that you had done that recently I have that somewhere in my collection. Oh, yeah, there's two of them. They're yeah. good. Okay, so uh, on the Astonishing Tour, your keyboards pivoted in different ways that allowed them to move from side to side, up and down, all sorts of angles. Thomas Holopainen of yeah. Nightwish also goes on stage with keyboards that are angled at 45 degrees, etc. Is there more yeah. than just a visual aspect to that does angling the keyboards provide any extra additional benefit to you playing is it easier uh i would say what's great about it it's not necessarily easier technically to play like that the reason i do that is a couple of reasons one is i really don't in that kind of a situation like where i'm just standing up there playing like for a whole night a concert i don't like to sit that still it's no fun it's like you know nobody else is really like that still right and and i just like the idea of movement and it keeps things loose and fluid and keeps me feeling you know really good and comfortable and kind of allows me to interact with the audience because i can turn i can face different directions and kind of get a feeling for different sides of the room uh it also is entertaining for the audience because it allows them to see my hands on the keys mm-hmm. which i think is really important uh you know i i value that i value the idea of you know, I'm up there playing a concert, and I really think that it's important to entertain. Why else are we there? You know, I mean, yeah, the music is important, obviously, but just to, you know, they're there to see you play as well and to experience that. So for me, having that be an element of my show is really comfortable and fun, and and it's I think it's, you know, a valuable part for the audience because they, you know, always get people saying, oh, it's great to be able to see you play, you know. So uh, so I like that. So the freedom of it all is really exciting to me. Cool. Yeah. Um, so you also have a music education and software company called Wisdom Music. That's W-I-Z-D-O-M for the folks at home who aren't seeing it in front of me yeah. on my question sheet. <laughs> anyway, uh, tell us a little bit about that and what you're trying to achieve there. Um, well, with Wisdom Music, uh, us a company I've had for about eight years or so. And um, I started that company because I got really turned on by the uh, initial multi-touch devices that I was playing with, specifically like the iPhone 
Uh, and even though when I first tried it, it hardly made a sound at all and had like a really primitive visual on the screen, I had like some really um, strong feelings for where it could go and what could happen. And uh, the app store was just starting to um, take shape. And there was a lot of people, a lot of like kind of uh, creative people in their garage, whatever, making little apps and trying different things. And I kept my eye on that because I wanted to find somebody like a programmer I could talk to about some of the ideas I had. And um, ended up finding this really cool guy. His name is Kevin Chartier, uh, who is a partner of mine and who we've made many apps together. And he and I created MorphWiz, which was the first uh, app that we did. And it was an app that featured um, kind of a synchronization between audio and visual uh, elements. And uh, the reason it was called MorphWiz is because it would morph the sonic waveform uh, and the visual waveform at the same time. And it would be not only cool to play, but it would be entertaining uh, visually and sonically to play because you're watching the waveform kind of change. Mm -hmm. And it was an important app for me because it was a big step towards putting together a concept and a vision that I had. And what was great about it also is that it was very successful. That year it won the Billboard uh, Best Music App Award, um, which was a great start because then it kind of enabled me to you know, put out other apps with other developers and always kind of um, you know, have that recognition and people would look to Wisdom Music, they still do. Um, which is great because the app store is incredibly crowded. So if I work with other developers, the one thing that we always know is if we come out with something that's good, we stand a chance of being noticed because, number one, Apple knows that I'm always doing you know, pretty interesting stuff. And the fans and the people, you know, fans of mine and Wisdom Music fans know that you know, the apps are always going to be pretty cool. So, yeah, it's just something that I've kind of kept going. It's been you know, a side business for me, certainly. Um, but it's been one that's been uh, really exciting because I always get to work on like cutting edge ideas and things that are a little bit outside the box and, you know, shake things up, even though it's on like these devices. You know, I, my latest app, GeoShred, is a really powerful um, musical instrument for the uh, for iOS. Like when you play it on your on your iPad or your iPhone, you can just rip on it. It does, you know, incredible things. Um, and you know, most of the apps out there aren't really considered like musical instruments, but like something like GeoShred really is. Wow, that's pretty cool. Okay, let's finish things up with one more tune. This one from Jordan's solo career. In 2014, he did an album called Explorations, much of which was taken up by three movements of a piece called Explorations for Keyboard and Orchestra. This is the first movement of said piece.
Again, that was the first movement of Explorations for Keyboard and Orchestra from the 2014 Jordan Rudess solo album entitled Explorations. So I hope you enjoyed part one of my coverage on keyboard wizard and entrepreneur Jordan Rudess. Part two will follow in a few weeks. As always, if you like the music you heard, support the artists involved. When I post this show to my website, progwatch.com, I will have links for you to explore more of Jordan's recorded output, and hopefully you will show him some love and add some great music to your collection. Also, if you enjoy this show, you can show a little love for your friendly neighborhood Prog Squatch by liking the Facebook page, just search for Prog-Watch, or by following me on Twitter, at Prog Squatch, all one word, P-R-O-G-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H. You can also interact with me on Twitter. I post a lot about the show and classic albums. Or if you want to contact me more privately, you can email me at progsquatch at gmail.com. Again, P-R-O-G-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H at gmail.com. In the weeks ahead, we will have more great variety from the past and the present, the beginning of a two-part feature on Joe Kearney of Comedy of Errors and Grand Tour, and as I said, part two of my Jordan Rudess feature, So thanks for coming along for the ride. Without you, there's no reason to put on this show. Until next time, be good to each other. And prog on, brothers and sisters. Shaving cream, 
be nice and clean. Shave every day and you'll always look keen. When I was in France with the army, one day I looked into my kit. I thought I would find me a sandwich, but the darn thing was loaded with shaving cream. Be nice and clean, shave every day and you'll always look keen. And now, folks, my story is ended. I think it is time I should quit. If any of you feel offended, stick your head in a barrel of shaving cream. Be nice and clean. Shave every day and you'll always look keen.